0: If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I decided to, um, I had such a great response. I, and this is my favorite way to do this, uh, is to just pick a book of the, of the Bible and just go through it, right? Verse by verse. That way you don't, you don't ever skip anything. You don't leapfrog over the things that are hard to talk about or that, that are really offensive to some. And guys, 1 Corinthians, buckle up because Paul really confronts some issues that, that our, our culture's dealing with. So when, not so much today, but as we get into some of these things, it's amazing. You See, you have to remember, when Paul wrote his letters to these churches that he'd started, you have to remember, as you look across them, you know, Philippians was a church at Philippi, right? Colossae, that was the church at, you know, Colossians was the church at Colossae, you know, Ephesus, Ephesians, that kind of thing. And the shorter the letter, the better they were doing, right? Because he didn't have a whole lot to say to them other than encourage them. The longer the letter, the more they were messing up. And the church at Corinth had two long letters. And, and just so you understand, if you could do it wrong, the church at Corinth did it wrong, right? It was, just, it was just, I think part of it was their culture. But you'll see in just a minute, I'll tell you a little bit more about it but it was just a rough, it was just a rough church. You know, sometimes I remember driving through small town Tennessee and, and Mississippi and Alabama and all those places where I, I lived in Kentucky, you would see, you know, First Corinthian church or Corinthian, you know, Methodist church, Corinthians Baptist church. I said, why would you wanna name your church Corinth? I mean, cause they were messed up. If I ever have a church that I'm the pastor of Lord please don't let it be like the church at Corinth. And let me tell you a little bit about that's why but I'm glad because Paul wrote all of these corrected things and it's good. Paul has Paul talked talked to us about how God has not called us to adapt to the culture. Right? And and he's called us to change the culture. But the problem is is that the culture is so ingrained sometimes in us that we don't realize the difference. So Looking forward to share that with you. Let me tell you a little bit about Corinth. I'm not gonna take long. I could take half an hour to give you an intro on Corinth. I have been to Corinth. Corinth is in Greece. It's in the south part of Greece. And as you go down the kind of the little peninsula, there's a little, like the Panama area where the Panama Canal is, there's a little, little strip of land. It's called, a, it's called an, an isthmus, isthmus, isthmus. Little track of land. And at its narrowest point, it's about four miles. And it was a port. Corinth was a port city. It was real important. It was very prosperous because it connected two seas, the Adriatic and the Aegean, right? And you could unload, take all of your cargo four miles, put it on another ship, and save a lot of time from sailing all the way around to get to the other side. So it it, it was perfect. It was location, location, location. Lots of, lots of trade, lots of money made, very affluent, um, and, and that was Corinth. Corinth also, again, I'll tell you this a little bit more, more along. It's important to know the city so that you can understand why Paul said some of the things he said. But also Corinth had a huge, it was huge athletic, you know, event area. The, the biggest of all the games were, were the Olympics, obviously, at that time. That's how long the Olympics have been around. But the second biggest, almost as, almost as big as the Olympics, were the Corinthian Games. And it was huge. I mean, athletes from all over the world came to compete at the Corinthian Games. So, guys, we're talking about a—I have been to Corinth, ancient Corinth, when I did a visit to, to Greece when we were studying the journey of Paul. And, and I stood there in Corinth, and, and in, the, in the unearthed, you know, uh, where they have preserved a lot of the the, the agora or the marketplace, which is pretty cool. And there were tons of temples, tons of temples to all kinds of gods, uh, all that you can imagine. But most at the time, most every town had its patron god or goddess. And like in, like in Athens, it was the patron goddess Athena. And she was the goddess of wisdom. So the town took on kind of a An academic, it was considered the academic hub of the world, Athens. So obviously you see, you know, it's kind of how they followed it. And, um, and so that's why when Paul went there in the book of Acts, you know, he debated with, you know, some of the great minds of the day. It's, it's an interesting read there in Acts, but, but Corinth, uh, was their patron goddess was Aphrodite. And she's the goddess of love and sexuality. And so, and since it was a port city, uh, it made this town like some cities around us, right? Um, It's it's amazing because I can still see it in my my mind is that I was, I was standing at the Agora, right? The marketplace. And then there was this whole line of different temples you could go sacrifice at, but there was a huge temple or, or the ruins of a huge temple on top of the hill top of this little, overlooking the, the, the seas. And it was this temple to Aphrodite, obviously, because she was the patron goddess, and so they had her temple up top. And, and every night, right, this, is, this is not in the Bible, this is all history, right? Every night, 2,000 priestesses would come down into Corinth and lead worship <laughs> and take donations. I don't think some of you are catching on, right? (laughs) You know, well, if it's Aphrodite, how would you lead in worship to Aphrodite? (coughs) All right, they were temple prostitutes. You got it now? All right, you're you're on my page, right? And so basically, they wouldn't have called it that. They would call themselves priestesses. So imagine the freak show, you know, when they would come down and and people would come from all over, sailors and everything, obviously, because of a huge port city. And so it brought on a real degenerate feel because as much as our culture is like that, it can't help but affect who you are, right? And and so that's what this city became. In fact, even in the world around it, it became the joke that you've Corinthianized it. Basically, it means you've taken it down, right? It just became kind of a saying to Corinthianize it so I just wanted you to hear it because this is where this is the church Paul's writing to he went into there and he just began to share the gospel and lo and behold God began to work these people were coming to know Christ in the most unlikely area in the world God was working and so obviously they had more baggage than a 747, obviously, from where they grew up. But God specializes in that kind of stuff. He really does. You're going to see it in this chapter. He specializes in the lost cause, right? The, where, when everybody else says there's no hope, all of a sudden, God will make something happen in such a way. It's, it, I don't know why God likes to do that, but he likes to do that. We'll find out in this chapter just how much he likes to do that. But... In the meantime, they were having a hard time getting over the baggage from their past and having a hard time discerning what was, who they were in Christ versus the way they'd been brought up all of their lives. A lot of us who are believers in this room, you come from a past, but the cool part about it is, is that you give it to him and God specializes in making something out of nothing or either, if you will, however metaphor you use, are making, uh, are, are healing that which is damaged, You know, healing the brokenhearted, all of, all of Luke chapter four. So when you take a look, it's, it's a great story, but it's the whole, this whole first, this whole first Corinthians is corrective. I mean, to show you how bad, I mean, to them, you know, the Lord's supper became a drunken party. Well, you have wine and food, then why not make a party of it, you know? It was their culture, but that didn't make it right. Does that make sense? That's where it's going to get a little politically incorrect. Not so much today, but in the weeks to come, because, because the difference he makes in our lives is, is done through us. And that's why I've always been able to say, you're going to hear it today. I mean, if, if you've had struggles in your past, then 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 you're in good company, right? Because God specializes in making a difference in your life. Especially when you think there's really no hope, right? Well, I don't know, that's just who I am. That's not the truth. It's, it's incredible. That's, it's a tough book, but it's also a book of great hope. And I just, I thought it'd be a great one this the front of the year, we're just gonna go through every verse, some real controversial verses, right? And you know me, we're just gonna kind of, we're gonna plow right through them, right? And I don't care, y'all know me, well, I do care, but I don't care that every if people get offended. Why, if you're gonna get offended, if it's God's word, then you'll have to get offended. But I'm not gonna back up from it. We're gonna look at it, so it's gonna be neat, all right? So today's title is Purpose. I'm gonna have to go through this a little uh, in, a, in a quicker way, right? But today's purpose, and I want you to know that Paul wanted them to see that their new life in Christ now had a purpose, and that they needed to see what that was. Take a look at chapter one, is that they're called to be the church. Now the church, let me see, let me help you with the word, what I call the C word. I don't know, there's something about me because I've been around, you know, long enough now, is that whenever I use the word church, that can mean about a thousand different things to everybody in the room. So what I need you to do is to take everything you think when you think of church and put it aside and understand what the Bible means. The Bible, when it means the word church, it means those who are believers those are who, who are his, who he's changed, who have banded together to do what he's called them to do. And it doesn't matter what you may title it, right? It's his. It's just an amazing thing. But he goes on to say, in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, called by the will of God as an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, that was his traveling partner at the time, to the church of God that's at Corinth, right? So what he's saying, it's God's. It's his. It's not Baptists, it's not Methodists, it's not Catholics, it's his. And so, that's why sometimes when, uh, you know, when somebody will say, I I go to Indian Rocks, right? I'm pastor at Indian Rocks. Well, because it's his church, right? And so, so that becomes the picture. To the church of God's in Corinth. And look at this, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. The word sanctified, well, sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. I think it really funny that he calls the believers at Corinth saints. If you've ever read the book, then you it's it funny, but remember, I ask you this question: what does the word saint" mean? Well, we have this we have this thought that it's someone who's real pious, but that's not the truth. There are certain groups that think that They can saint people, right? Because they've been so good. But that's not the biblical thought. The word saint means one who is holy. The word sanctify, can everybody see it there? That is basically the same word as saint. But sanctify is the process of making someone holy. Now, I've been talking to you now for over a decade. How is one made right with God? How is one made holy? Well, it's definitely not your effort, right? It's grace. It's a gift. You are made holy. You aren't holy in and of yourself, and you never will be. Why? Because the Bible says, for all have sinned, right? So you're never going to be holy in and of yourself. But that's what Christ did at the cross. That's the gospel. Who Christ is, what he came to do. What he did at the cross was he took your unrighteousness, paid for it, and gave you his righteousness. Therefore, you have been made holy. So therefore, if you are a believer here today, you are a saint. Notice the word sanctified is past tense. That is, it's happened to you. You may not feel real holy, but you've been made that way whether you feel that way or not. Even the people in Corinth. And that's good news. That's real good news. So therefore we don't saint people he does by making them holy in christ does that make sense so it's an amazing thing and i i don't have time to to go through all of it but i just wanted you to see that he says called to be saints together with all those who are in every place who call upon the name of the lord so paul wants them to know that they're not just part of this little exclusive club but god's doing work all over the world and you're part of it both their lord it says here and ours who's there Lord that is everywhere else okay grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ I give thanks to my God now this is such a powerful verse he says I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus in other words I want you to think about this there is no one no matter what they have done in their past that is beyond God's grace I've told you so many times that the word grace means a gift that you don't deserve. And how amazing God would want to demonstrate his grace in a place like Corinth, right? A place that even the lost world looked at as decadent and perverse, right? And God went through there and he began to, and he wanted them to know guys. I want you to understand that God's grace was given to you and and it says that in every way you were enriched see the word enriched enriched is okay but the better translation is enlightened it's like going from darkness to light that's enlightened therefore I couldn't see it but like oh wow I do see it so then God out of his grace Corinthians opens your eyes and let you see. Therefore when you praise when you praise praise him. And you'll see why he's saying that in just a minute. It's an amazing thing. I I don't know all how this works. There's a great mystery to it. But all I know is I I spent my life and I'll spend the rest of my life telling people about this. And I still am amazed. It never ceases to amaze me. Then when I look out and I look at people's faces and all of you up front, just so you know, I don't rarely look at you It's you back people that I look at. (laughs) And I can tell, I can tell looking at someone's face, right? If they know him because how you approach God's word, right? Because enriched in him, it says in all speech and in all knowledge. In other words, you've been able to see. It doesn't matter how well I do, you know, because if you know him, you want to know. If you don't, I don't care how well I do, this bores you to tears. Interesting, isn't it? Absolutely incredible. Enriched. Better of the word is enlightened. So he looks at them and says, guys, do you realize how privileged, this is what he's telling the Corinthians, how privileged you are that God stepped into this place and made the difference in your life. Interesting, huh? He says, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, that is just the gospel was shared, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. What's he telling them there? He's setting them, not setting them up, but he's, 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 he's pouring a foundation of some things he's going to need to talk with them about in the rest of the letter. He says, guys, you don't like anything and don't let anybody tell you that you like anything. And he uses spiritual gifts because they, they had this weird, crazy, out of control, gotten out of control thing on spiritual gifts, and we'll talk to you more about it in 12 and 14. So we've got a little while, it. but he, he mentions it here and he looks at them and he says, you don't like anything, and don't let anyone tell you that you like anything if you're in him. You see, we have whole myriads of ministries in our world, and especially in our country, and so many times they try to tell you that you're, it's, it's great to have Christ. They don't say it just this way, but, but you also need this, and you also need this. And you you know, and most of it is to make you dependent. Now, it's like there's, there's another group that calls themselves, you know, and I'm not trying to talk bad about anybody. I just want you to hear it so you can understand this verse. They call themselves, you know, the full gospel. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The full. Now, what does that imply? That implies that you don't have everything you need. And that's not the truth. Does that make sense to you? Don't let anybody ever tell you that you need anything other than Christ, right? Because in him is the fullness, right? You don't need to have this or do this or go to, now you may do those things and that's great, but the gospel is the gospel and there's no such thing as the partial gospel, right? It either is what it is or it's not, right? It's an incredible thing. So he tries to tell them because that's what gets, especially newer believers all worked up. Oh, well, gosh, I want to, you know, I want to make sure I do that. I mean, they're telling me that I can't really be a strong believer unless I do that. And you have everything you need right now. The only thing you might need is to continue to grow in it and mature. Does that make sense? You're in him. You're complete. No additives needed. Right? Good deal. All right. As you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, therefore, you'll find the strength to do what he's called you to do as you do it, right? Guiltless until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that makes you guiltless? Not about you, but about him in you. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. I love the word fellowship. The word fellowship. You remember the Lord of the Rings, right? Fellowship of the ring. Those nine guys were given a task and they were committed to each other to fulfill the task. Right, And so fellowship is a good word when you understand who we are supposed to be as a church. Therefore, we're his, committed to what he's called us to do until the task is done. That is who you and I are supposed to be. God is faithful. He's called you into this fellowship, right? I don't know about you, but growing up as a kid, whenever I thought about the word fellowship, it was... It was always something you ate. All right, if, you ever been, if you haven't been around church much, okay, that's fine. But most of the time you see the word fellowship, they're going to eat. Oh, well, we're having a fellowship after church. Well, that means you're probably going to have ice cream and everything that's bad for you. All right. So but in reality, fellowship is being, is being partnered in a, in a task, usually a very important task. So you call it the fellowship of believers or fellowship of whatever, right? Number two, it's called to be unified. Now, this is where he's gonna start getting to getting to some of the crux of their problems. He says, I appeal to you, brothers. I I beg you, is basically what he's saying. Guys, you're his. This is like if Paul is talking to us, you're his by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I beg you that you agree and that there's no divisions among you. I have found that that is an impossible task for you and I to do on our own, especially in our culture, in America, right? You know, you have three people, but you have four different opinions, right? But see, when it comes to opinions, I'm not talking about truth here. Talk about opinions then he's urging us to agree for the sake of the gospel. You know, divisions are amazing things because obviously I've, I've, I've been around, I've seen, heard, whatever, and those who are divisive. The way to be united, how is it that you do this? In other words, I, I beg you in the name of the Lord that you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but, but that you be united in the same mind, the same judgment. There's only one way to be united. And that's for you and I to be on his page. Lord, I want what you want. And then when people get on that page, then there's going to be, unity will just happen. But I have found personally, well, let's look at the verses. First chapter one, verse 11. First been reported to me, Paul says, by Chloe's people. All right? So Chloe's people told on them. All right? And that there is quarreling among you. And here's the quarreling that you've had. What I mean by this is that each one of you is saying, you know, this group over here says, well, you know, we're followers of Paul. We're part of the original Christians here in Corinth. Well, congratulations. And then Apollos was a a teacher. So he came in after and he really helped the people grow. And then others were like, you know, well, I'm, I'm a follower of Apollos, right? And then some others I follow, well, you know, I'm a follower of Cephas, which is Peter, right? One of the disciples. And then others will say, I follow Christ. And guys, this happens today, you know, it's an incredible thing. Um, Divisions are divisions. And I will tell you that where, when anytime there's a division within the church, it's always because of immaturity. And especially I would say most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time it's being self, how do I say this nicely? Self-absorbed, that is preoccupied with what you want. That usually is what it's all about. It's usually couched in something more subtle than that. But I just want you to know, know, the divisions that were happening here is that Everybody was wanting to feel superior to the other person, right? Well, Paul just blew them out of the water. He says, is Christ divided? Listen to this. Was Paul crucified for you? You know, and you're talking about I'm a follower of Paul. Well, well, you're in trouble, right? Because Paul didn't die for you. You know, Guys, this is why, if you've ever wanted me to know, I, I've tried my hardest to not only follow what the Scripture says, but to share it with you just as it is. This is why you never hear me tout being, being Baptist. I don't know about you, but I don't follow the Baptists. I don't. I follow Christ. And if the Baptist happened to follow him too, then we're going in the same direction. But if I follow the Baptists, then when they get off track, guess what's going to happen to me? I'm going to be off track. Therefore, I'm not following the Baptist, Catholic myth. You hear me say that all the time because some people don't understand. You get your eyes, you know. If you're, I'm a, I'm a Calvinist. I'm an Arminian. I'm a, I'm a. Forget all of that. Follow Christ, right? Paul is saying this here. But see, everybody wants to think that somehow this makes me superior, whatever. And usually divisions come from being self-absorbed, right? Therefore, wanting what I want, you know, it's interesting. I'm doing this parenting thing, I'm so excited about it. Because there's some things I learned about being a parent that, that really do help. I do found some, these are the things I'm gonna share with you, they're gonna be real simple, everybody will get it. But one of the greatest things that I can teach my children One of the absolute greatest things I can teach my children is to not be self absorbed and it's hard because a lot of us adore our children but you're killing them if you teach them to be self preoccupied therefore it's all about them and yet the world around you teaches you to tell them it's all about them you know puff them up build them up tell them they can do anything they want to do is that true no but tell them that anyway i 'm I'm, I'm here to tell you this incredible is that that was one of the things we were going to focus on because self preoccupation causes them to be very divisive wherever they go. All right, let me give you an illustration right? like it 's so funny in my family I know <laughs> I know you may a lot of people think things about me that just aren 't the truth but I have four children and a wife, and then there's me, so there's six of us, all right? All five of them are extroverted. I mean, they're fighting over who's going to talk next, all right? And I'm, and I'm, they just, and, and, and I'm not, right? I, I'm, I'm more introverted. I'm not shy, but I'm introverted. I, I just am. I mean, people don't realize that because they only see me up here, right? But it's so funny because I was thinking to myself, an extrovert, that's a personality trait, right? I'm gonna talk about this in the parenting class, right? Extrovert. Have you ever bumped into an extrovert who's self-absorbed? Oh, they're absolutely miserable to be around. Look at me. Have you ever bumped into an extrovert that is selfless? They are absolute joy to be around. Are you hearing me? That is where divisiveness comes. Because when you're absorbed with self, if you want to see division, just you only need two people. Have one person who's self-absorbed run into another person who's self-absorbed. And they will never get along. Why? Because they're all battling over who's going to get to do what they want to do. I did. I saw, I saw in the church I grew up in, I saw there be a big division and split over the color of the carpet in the sanctuary. We laugh, but when it has to be your way, you will get divisive, I promise you. Why? Because it's not always going to get to be your way. So, he says here, are you kidding and he goes on to say, I thank God that I haven't baptized any of you, except for Crispus and Gaius. Why? Because people would go around, well, you know, Paul baptized me. So, right? Who cares? I had a person come up to me one time. This is classic, I want you to hear this. And this has happened a lot. Because people wonder, they want to do what God wants them to do. Well, I had a person come up to me and say, you know, Jeff, I became a believer seven or eight years ago. But the pastor who baptized me, he lost his mind. You know, he he had a lot of things were exposed that he was doing that were wrong and and he got bitter and he's not even in the ministry today. In fact, he's even denying Christ, which I wonder if he's even a believer anyway, but he would tell me all this, do I need to be baptized again? I'm like, no, all right? You weren't baptized in his name, all right? It's not about him, never has been, it's about Christ. So I said, when you gave your life to Christ, right? And baptism followed was a picture of that. I said, is that where that, is that where your heart was? I said, then then it has nothing to do with the person who does it, right? See, guys, we get our focus off of him and on other things, and we're going to get disillusioned and disappointed. That's just the way it works, right? He goes on to say that so no one may say that you were, you know that I baptized you, and in parentheses he does say well I did baptize the household of Stephanus. He says beyond that I don't know if I baptized anyone else, for Christ didn't send me to baptize. He me to share, sent me to share the gospel. That's why I'm here, right? And he goes on to say and not with words of eloquent wisdom. Now hear me. Look at me. What I do, it is not my goal, I'm sure I could do it anyway, but it's not my my goal to be an eloquent orator. You know, I'm from Tennessee, I'm not sure it's possible, (laughs) right? But the passion of mine is that you understand. Absolute passion. I couldn't care less if you were impressed with my oratory skills. Seriously, I learned from this verse why because eloquence robs the cross of its power. Isn't that interesting? Look at the last part of the verse and not with words with eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Because when it's all about the speaker, you get your eyes on the speaker. You know, we have these rock star communicators, you know, in the Christian world. And people follow them, and it scares me. Because I'm wondering: are you following him? Have you lost sight of what you're following? These are things you need, you not need to hear, but these are the things he was teaching the people in Corinth that they needed to understand so that they could be who God's called them to be, so they could be used. Interesting. Number three, is called to proclaim Christ crucified. This is where I'll close, because he he said. He he makes some great statements here. and I just want you to hear it. He said, for the word of the cross is folly. A better word here is foolishness. Oh, that's just foolishness. All right, so the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And obviously, I, I again, as I told you before, I look out, you can tell. You can just, it's so easy to tell. Because if you don't know it, if you don't see it, then it's like, it's like me sit, sitting in a molecular biology class, you know. Some of you who are in that, you, you say, saw oh, no, that's great. And I said, no, no, that's terrible. But if you, if you don't know anything about it, then yeah, it's going to be dry and boring. But for those that are changed by it, it's the power of God. Because you've seen it work in your life. He goes in to say, for it is written, I'm going to destroy, all right, the wisdom of the wise and discernment of the discerning I will thwart. And it's so true. The great wisdom of these scholars in ancient Greece, they look back at their old writings and just laugh, you know, how primitive. We've grown so much now. But you do realize that the smartest people today, in 100 years, they'll be laughing at you for the wisdom you've had. You know, it's just amazing. That's why it says here uh, that God's going to destroy that. He goes on to say, where is the one who's wise? Right? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? Right? That's what he's saying. That's why the academic of our world struggles so much. It only makes sense that the gospel would be simple. Because if it wasn't simple, then only the intelligent could be believers. And that's, I'm tell you, that's not the, that's not who God is, right? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not go, know God through wisdom. You will not find God through smarts. I think that's interesting. But it pleased God. This is interesting. I did a study one time. It was great, personally. I went through all the scriptures Genesis Revelation defined just the passages that pleased God. And this was the strangest one. It actually pleases God that through foolishness, what most people or what a lot of people call foolishness, it's that very thing that's making change in people's lives. You know? It's 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 really neat. He goes on to say that the Jews demand signs but the Greeks want wisdom. In other words, the Jews want to see power and the Greeks want to see wisdom because at the time, you have to remember that Greek philosophy was all about, you know, spouting off all of this philosophy, you know, Epicurean, Stoic, they had all kinds of little theories and thinkology and all of the rest. But Christ said that we preach Christ crucified. That's the second part of the gospel what Christ came to do, who he is. We just talked about at Christmas, right? And he goes on to say, this is a, it's a stumbling block to our Jewish friends and it's foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, it's the power and wisdom of God. It's like, wow, once he's opened your eyes and let you see, it's like, wow, wow, amazing. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, he says something in verse 26, and I'm gonna tie it all together. And here's where I wanna close, and I don't want you to miss this, because this is, going to, this is going to maybe bother a few of you, but bring great hope to the rest of you. All right, you ready for it? How you like that intro? All right, here we go. For consider your calling. Now, what's he talking about when you became a believer? remember the time you became a believer and what God's called you to do and to be, who he's called you to be, So if you're a believer in here today, I want you to remember that. Remember this brothers, talking to the Corinthians, that not many of you were Phi Beta Kappas, right? Not many of you made the honor society. In other words, not many of you were overly intelligent according to worldly standards. You hear where he's going? He says, not many of you were powerful, right? That is great leaders. That is whatever you want to call it. And not many of you were of noble birth. But God has chosen what is foolish in the world, in the world's eyes. It's not foolish. It's just foolish in the world's eyes. To shame, I like the the King James better, confound, in other words, make them scratch their head. Shame the wise. He's chosen that which is weak to confound the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no one, no one will be, be able to boast in God's presence. All right, now go back to 26 or 7, where it says, not many wise, not many whatever. I want you to see this. Now, all right, uh, one before, there we go. For consider your calling, brothers. Now, I'm not gonna have you raise your hands, but there are a few of you in here that are, are really intelligent. Top 3%, all right? All right, you are. You, you made a 30-whatever 30, 30 on the ACT and a 15-whatever on the SAT, right? you went to wherever you went to and you are one smart person, right? There's some of you in here that are powerful. That is, you, you just, you have strength. You're extraordinary, right? Some of you were born into a family that was incredible. So there's some of you in here that are highly talented, but don't worry, God can still use you. I'm not joking. Not many of you were wise. Now, it doesn't mean that not any. But for some reason, the God that we serve loves to use that which is weak and to be strong through them. The hard thing, and this is where I might bother you a little, the hard thing about talented people and the hard thing the real reason that God can't use them is because they have such a hard time getting over themselves. Right? Paul was one of the smartest people in the scriptures, no doubt. And God had to break him in half before he could use him. In other words, God can only fill what's empty. So he usually has to empty you in order to fill you. But if you're just a common average person, Strap on, God can really use you. He didn't have to empty near as much out of you before he can use you. Does that make sense? That's what he's talking about. There aren't many. A couple illustrations. Samson. Right? You remember? You remember all the all the pictures of Samson was this, you know, steroided up kind of guy. You know, and and. But that wasn't the truth. My bet he was 150 pounds, right? Because everybody kept asking, his enemies kept asking, what's the secret of his strength? Because it's obviously not from him. Why, because God specializes in making strong that which is weak. You see, everybody knew it was God in Samson. They knew Samson couldn't do that. I don't know why, but God loves to do that kind of stuff. So if you're feeling weak and worthless, you're a prime candidate. A prime candidate for God using, because He loves to do it. He loves to do it. You know, I one more, and then I'll be done. Illustration about that. I just want you to see. It, but <laughs> there was a there was an evangelist, a traveling evangelist, kind of like Billy Graham, but long before him. Believe it or not, long before I, ever, I even was born. And his name. I want to see how many of you know him. His name was Billy Sunday. Now, raise your hand if you've ever heard of Billy Sunday. Okay maybe half but Billy Sunday was if you don't if you never heard of him there's good reason because he lived back at the turn of the last century so late 1800s early 1900s and he was a baseball player very very good baseball player but he got out of baseball he started traveling around and sharing the gospel in different cities and he set up these big tents he's one of the first ever do it and he would pour sawdust on the floor and he would have sometimes four or five six weeks in one city and people would come out, and he would share the gospel. And he was very good at sharing the gospel. But he was, he was a nut. He was strange, one of the strangest people. And let me tell you what I mean by strange. I remember I was reading, because when I was in school, I never heard of him until I got to school. And we started reading about different times. And, and so I read a, a biography of him. And in, in the biography, I mean, he would do sh- strange, really stupid things. One time he came out on stage and he was sharing with the audience and he stopped. He says, I can't, I can't take it anymore. And he pulls out a gun and he puts it to his head and he pulls the trigger and falls lifeless to the stage. And it was just like this. Everything went Quiet. And a gasp, right, came up in the crowd. Well, after enough dramatic effect had happened, he stands back up. And he says, now let me ask you a question. If you died tonight, where would you spend eternity? (laughs) How? And he did stuff like that all the time. How can God use a weirdo like that? <laughs> I don't know, but he did. And all the seminary professors couldn't understand why God would use a guy like that. Because he used the ignorant and the powerless to do something great. Because if you ever listened to his message, his message was as clear as it could be. I don't know. I don't know why God does that but he does and therefore sometimes people will say to me man if so-and-so would just become a believer boy the difference they could make and you know I'm thinking to myself probably not probably not you know what I mean because that's doesn't seem and God does use it sometimes but he has to work harder to use you if you're ultra talented Paul was given what they were called a thorn in the flesh keep his trust in who God was. I believe because he was just so talented. Because what happens is when you're ultra talented, you, you, you have a hard time not trusting yourself when God wants us to trust him. If you have no confidence in yourself, then you're, 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 an, you're ready to be used, right? Because if you'll trust him, he'll give you all that you need to do what he's called you to do. It is an amazing thing. Guys, this is what the book of 1 Corinthians is about. It's trying to get the Corinthians off of a worldly thinking way of thinking and into what God can really use. And history tells us that this church at Corinth wound up turning the corner and really making a huge impact in an area that needed a huge impact. But he used a group of people that were highly unlikely. I don't know. It's interesting to see. So as as we walk through, right? Uh, i 've got to close, but one more story about Billy Sunday, right? <laughs> a guy came forward right a guy came forward in one of his little talks right and and Billy Sunday got his eye on one guy he came forward and he had this long beard, and he was crying. God had broken him, he was wanting to give his life to Christ and Billy Sunday kept, kept talking and he, kept, he just couldn 't get his eyes off of this guy and so eventually went down in the crowd and he went up to him and he grabbed him by the beard and said honk honk and then went back up and finished the invitation how can god use a person like that i don't know but god did because he uses that which is weak to confound the wise because people go to seminary for years to learn how to be an orator and have everybody be real impressed with their oratory skills. And he winds up using a baseball player that can't even use correct grammar. Interesting how it works, huh? I don't know, how, I don't know what to tell you other than I just, I have a strong desire for you to see 1 Corinthians because I think number one is gonna be an encouragement to a whole lot of us. But number two, it's gonna confront a whole lot of things, but it's going to be wonderful no matter what.